Last week, I got an email from a friend. She is one of the major Kantian scholars in America, a brilliant intellectual who loves Jesus with all of her heart. She'd gone away on a retreat. It was a silent retreat with some teaching and some loving and some caring. And she texted me when she could steal her phone from the people who took it away, that it was awesome, that it was life-changing, that she would never forget. And then I got the email when she got home. And she said, Steve, you can't live on the mountain, can you? And she listed what had happened when she got back. That's the Monday after Sunday. I, I love coming to worship here. I'm a cynical old preacher, man. And when they sing, when Zach lifts up Jesus, when these worship people do their things and those kids sing and the babies get baptized, that may be the most meaningful baptismal service I have ever heard. I just think this is true. It's all true. I can do this a little bit longer. And then Monday comes and the bottom falls out and... And things are hard. Can you imagine Moses standing by the Red Sea? And it would be, make Cecil DeMille's portrayal of that minor. The real thing, the sea divides. He must say, oh God. But he still had to go into the wilderness with a bunch of stiff-necked people. And Solomon, finally, they got the building up. <laughs> and Solomon said, God, you are so good and this is so wonderful. But he still had to pay the bills. Then you get Peter after he screwed it up so bad and being loved by Jesus and thinking I'll never run from him ever again. But he still had to conduct the church meetings in Jerusalem. Then you got Paul, <laughs> the road to Damascus, the excitement of seeing God in such a supernatural, amazing way. And then he's got a bunch of wild people in Corinth and he still has to do with them. I think of the prodigal son. Sure, his life was over. Sure that nothing was going to work again. He spent his money on the whores and he was eating pig's food and he goes home to be welcomed by his father and to get down and party, barbecue. Almost as good as what you're gonna get this afternoon. And a country band and wine that was unbelievable. But he, but he still had to go into the field on Monday. And so the question before the house is simply this. How, how do you remember the taste of the wine and the sound of the music? We've just come through Easter. I love Easter because the pagans haven't taken it over yet. I mean, I love the smell of the lilies and the thought of the reality behind the faith that we share. But then it's not Easter anymore. 
and the smell of the lilies isn't there. What do you do? What do you do on Monday? Well, the short answer is nothing. For God's sake, do nothing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. And I've got a lot more to say than that. So listen to what Dr. Luke writes in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And I'm going to start at the fourth verse. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will in the same way uh, you saw him go into heaven return. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then flip over for just a verse or two in the eighth chapter of Acts, where Luke writes this, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Before we address the question, what do you do on Monday? Give me a second to go down a side road because I don't want to miss the fact of the central fact of the Christian faith. Please note in the text, Jesus was there and they asked him. What do you mean you asked him? He's dead. Dead men don't tell tales. What do you mean you ask him? And then it hits you, a dead man got out of a grave. And he said, we could too. You would love my wife, Anna. 
But she was sick on Easter, and she was grumpy and mean all day. And she said, Steve, it's the only time, well, there was one other time in my entire life that I've missed Easter worship. Why was she so upset? Because this is the deal. Everything rests on that dead man getting out of a grave. It is an explanation on everything that we believe. Hey, you know that crazy old man who talked to a bush? He was right. You know those stiff-necked people who said there was one God and they were his people? And he was their God. They were right. And Jeremiah the prophet and David the man after God's own heart, they were all right. What they said was true. And now we know. I have a friend, and I've heard him teach it a number of times. When he teaches this text, the one I just read to you, he makes a point of saying that Acts 1-8, the command to go into Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth didn't take place until Acts 8-1 took place. In other words, the persecution that followed Stephen spewed the Christians out of Jerusalem so they were forced to do what Jesus had told them to do in the first place. When I was reading this text and thought I would teach this text to you, I thought that would be the direction in which I would go. And that dog really will hunt. Last week, we interviewed Rachel Held Evans. She's written a book called Searching for Sunday. And she said some really negative things in previous books about the church. And in this book, she goes through seven sacraments. Now, Presbyterians know there are only two, but we cut her a little bit of slack on that. Seven sacraments, and she lifted up the fight she had with God as God drew her kicking and screaming back to the church that is his body and his bride, searching for Sunday during part of that search. She and some friends decided they were going to do church right, and so they met in a funeral home. And I said, Rachel, what happened to that church? And she said, it died. And I said, well, that's appropriate, man. Church in a funeral home, you could have called it the church of the resurrection, but you didn't. You called it the church of death, and you couldn't pull it off. But she was forced, little by little, back to embracing the people of God, a whore, but our mother. And so I was going to tell you that story, and I was going to build on it and preach a wonderful sermon on how you better do it God's way, because God has a way of organizing circumstances, and you end up doing it God's way anyway. I was going to say, quit worrying about the will of God. The will of God will work itself out in your life. But I decided to go in a different direction. So put your finger in that point and preach your own sermon. I've got another one. The question, and I moved the previous question, is what do you do on Monday? 
How do you remember the taste of the wine and the sound of the music? Well, the first thing this text would teach us is that you do nothing. Notice what Jesus said. Go back to Jerusalem and be still. Sit down. Wait. Don't change the world. Don't make your life count for Jesus. Just be still. I'm a fixer. I fix everything. And that's very hard for me. Guys, fix stuff. And Jesus said, don't fix anything. Just be still. Let me give you a principle. There is an inverse and direct correlation between your busyness and your trust. In other words, the busier you are, the less you trust. We are so busy doing stuff for God, helping him out, making a difference in the world. And listen to me, he was doing fine before you came along. And he will do fine long after you leave. The world does not rest on your shoulders. You are not significant. You're going to die and you're not even going to leave a hole. That sounds like bad news, but it's really, really good news. You kind of rat. You know what I did four or five years ago? I had oral surgery couple of my teeth or implants. And my friend, the oral surgeon, invited me in to explain to me what he was going to do and to protect his posterior by telling me and making me sign a piece of paper that I knew that all these things could happen. I could get jungle rot. I could go blind. I could, uh, and, then, and then he said, you could lose your voice. And it was in a long list. I didn't think about it till I got back to my office. And somebody said, what did the doctor say? I told him. And I said, he said I could lose my voice. Now, the people who work for me have some vested interest in my voice. I know I'm good looking, but this voice is something else. <laughs> and if I lose my voice, they don't eat and the mortgage doesn't get paid. And so they were quite concerned you could lose your voice. And so together they commissioned me before the surgery was done. And they put me under to talk to the doctor about the loss of my voice. And so when I went in for the day of surgery, they hooked me up and they had the things in my veins and were getting ready to put me under. And just as Dr. Tillery was getting ready to press the button, I grabbed his hand. He said, what? I said, my staff wants me to ask and I'm kind of concerned myself. In that list of bad things that could happen to me, you, you said I could lose my voice. Let's talk about it. And he shook his hand away and he said, oh, Steve, I had to say those things to you. And by the way, he said, did I tell you you could die? <laughs> and he hit the button and I went under. There wasn't a thing I could do. I hated being out of control. I couldn't even get answers to my questions. If there is no solution, then there is no problem. We're, we're driven by the manipulators in the church. 
then give us a list of things that we've got to do if we really love Jesus. Don't do them. Just be still. Be quiet before an awesome and sovereign God. That's what you do on Monday. I have a friend, Michael Horton, who wrote a book called Ordinary. I don't think I would have titled my book Ordinary, but he did. And he said some of the things that I've said to you this morning. And then he said, we're ordinary people doing ordinary things. And that's enough. Change your baby's diaper. Get up and go to work tomorrow. Be kind to your neighbor. When there's a need for somebody to have food, make sure they have food. Watch a movie. Go to dinner with friends. Play cards. Smoke a cigar. Be a good citizen. Vote. Be informed. That's ordinary stuff. And that's what Jesus was saying. Be still. Let me take care of the universe for just a little bit. But there's more. On Monday, when the music has died and you can no longer taste the wine, Wait for the power. Let me give you another principle. I'm full of principles. Uh, power, Holy Spirit power is assumed by faith and manifested in need. Let me say it again. Holy Spirit power is assumed by faith. That's the text. Jesus said, wait until the power I told you about comes. It's assumed by faith and it's manifested in need. Corey Tinboom, I love. Do you remember her hiding place? She went through the concentration camps with her sister and her sister died. She wrote a book about it. She was a Dutch evangelist and she looked like Aunt B. I mean, she was the sweetest, gentlest, kindest, most real. I had lunch with her in her hotel room, and nobody thought we were having an affair. <laughs> that was shortly before her death, and she was very old, and she was speaking that night and needed to rest. And so as we ate, I had time to talk to her, and it was one of the great and wonderful memories of my life. I'm a cynical guy. I have my doubts about Billy Graham, but not Corey Tinboo. <laughs> Mother Teresa may have not been as good as everybody thinks she was, but not Corey Tinboo. She was in Uganda one time. I was there too when Idi Amin was the dictator of Uganda and killed off so many Christians. I, I went there, I'm brave, for about three seconds. I was in Kenya and stood on the border and I did this. So I could tell you this morning I was in Uganda and was so brave. She was there and she was, she was teaching Anglican pastors who knew that a number of them were gonna die over the next few weeks. And she said, she, and they were scared. Don't buy used car from somebody who says they're not afraid of death, okay? So, so she didn't know what to say. And then God gave her a picture of her father when he would go on a trip 
and he would give her the ticket just before she got on the train. And she said to them what I taught you this morning, faith assumes the power of the Holy Spirit and it is manifested in need. When it comes your time to die, when it comes your time to face the loss of somebody you love so much, when it comes the time for you to lose your job, to be told that you have leukemia, when it comes the time that everything in your life falls apart, that's the coming of the Holy Spirit manifested in the power of the believers. Meanwhile, change the diaper, go to work, and do what you got to do. What do you do? On the Monday after Sunday, nothing. And then you wait for the power. And then thirdly, on the Monday after Sunday, for God's sake, don't substitute stuff for the power that you're not experiencing. Let me say that again. Don't substitute stuff for the power that you're not experiencing. A lot of our religion is because God, we think, is on vacation. And so we create religious tasks and religious liturgies and religious things that everybody ought to do in the meanwhile to substitute for the fact that God is away on vacation somewhere in Bermuda, and he's not. So don't try to fix your broken heart. Don't try to fix the re, I got a, I have a priest friend who I love and he's been diagnosed uh, this morning, I got an email from him. He's been diagnosed with a very bad disease. He rides a motorcycle and he loves people and he ministers. He's a PhD in psychology. I've known him for 40 years. And he headed his emails with these words. God has deserted me. And I wrote him back and I said, Rich, no, he hasn't. This is a season. Don't doubt in the dark what God taught you in the light. Do what you've always done, and the time will come, I promise, when God says, it's enough, and the joy of your salvation be, will be restored. And I told him, meanwhile, don't shilly-shally. Keep doing what you're supposed to do, and he will. He wrote me back almost immediately and said, thanks, that was Jesus. And I needed to hear that. Don't, don't substitute. And then there's one other thing and then we'll, then we'll go get something to eat. When, you, when it's Monday morning and the music isn't playing and you're not raising your hands, and God doesn't seem real, don't do anything, wait for the power, and don't substitute. But next, look for circumstances. 
You know, in that last point, and I forgot to point it out because I wanted you to know I'm a Bible teacher and I just didn't make that up. One of the interesting things about this text is the question that was asked by the disciples of Jesus. It was a political question. It was a question about power. It was a question about the world and how it works. Are you now going to restore all of the political power that we had? And Jesus didn't say, you bozo, don't ask such a... He was so kind because it's his nature. He just kind of gently brushed it off like, I don't know. But let me tell you something really important. Don't substitute politics either. Don't substitute religion. But look, look for circumstances. And that moves over to 8.1, the persecution that had arisen in Jerusalem over Stephen. And Paul was there. And then the Christians, because of the persecution, were spewed out all over the place. God does as he pleases, and he does it right well. Don't do, Dave and I were talking uh, earlier this morning. He's an old friend of mine here. We were talking about an old friend of ours. His name was Harper Davison. And he's the chairman of my board. And he asked me how Harper was doing. And I said he was doing fine. And then we started talking about Maynard Watkins, who's now home with the Lord. Let me tell you a story about Maynard. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. This has been 10 years ago. And I was paged over the speaker system, and nobody even knew I was there, and said, would Reverend Stephen Brown please come to the paging phone? And I went, oh, spit, I can't get away from those people no, anywhere. It's before we had cell phone. So I got up, closed my book, and walked toward the paging phone, and I ran into Maynard Watkins. And he saw me and turned pale. He said, Steve, I can't believe you're here. He said, do you know what I did just, just five minutes ago? I said, Lord Jesus, I would sure like to be able to talk to Steve. My father died last week and I was there and I'm just coming back and I needed to talk to you. And Jesus arranged it. And we sat there and we cried together and we prayed together. And eventually I resumed my journey to the paging phone. And nobody ever heard of me. You go, whoa. That's the way I go. I had hair in those days and it stood up and sang the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> Listen, God is in charge of circumstances. Did you guys used to go out with Campus Crusade and do those, those surveys? You take your clipboard and a survey? This was so lacking in integrity. Listen, I love crew. 
I love Campus Crusade for Christ. I support them. Bill Bright was a friend and I miss him more than I can tell you and all of that. But that survey was dumb, okay? I've been wanting to say it all my life and now I'm old enough to say that was a stupid thing to do. You took a clipboard and you went out and you had questions, could I, I represent it, this is what you said. I represent an international religious organization and we're doing a survey. Would you be willing to answer some questions? Do you go to church? And you write it down. And where do you go to church? How often? And the last question had to do with Jesus. So the whole reason for the survey was to create a, create a circumstance and the surveys weren't used for anything. They were burned. Now, if that doesn't lack integrity, I don't know anything that does. But their hearts were right, and I did it over and over again, and my heart was right. I wanted to see people come to Jesus. But listen to me, that was wrong. And it was wrong because we were trying to create circumstances that only God can do. So do nothing, wait for the power. Don't substitute and watch. Watch the people you're with, the places where you go, the things that are happening in your life. And when you see Jesus, run after him and try to catch up. When a Bubba says to you, hold my beer and watch this, you better run. When Jesus says, watch this, you watch. And you'll see him do things and, and don't duck. You'll see him do things that are very, that's what you do. That's how you remember the taste of the wine and the sound of the music on Monday. A friend of mine told me a week or so ago about this, these two cops who called their precinct and asked for the Sarge and they, they said, Sarge, we've got a kind of unusual circumstance here. A woman just shot her husband dead because he walked on her freshly mopped floor before it was dry. And the Sarge said, well, you arrested her, didn't you? And the officer said, oh, no, the floor's still wet. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but those circumstances determine our actions. So you can be still. You can trust. You can rest. He holds you. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, Mondays can be as good as Sundays. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And for sermons on video, be sure to drop by youtube.com slash Network. Hey, and while you're there, hope you'll also hit that subscribe button. Thanks.